Scripture today is from uh, the New International Version, Philippians 3, 1 through 21. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But... Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. The mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Amen. God, thank you for your word by your Holy Spirit. Continue speaking that word into our lives through this sermon and, and into our daily lives that we might live for you. Amen. We are in a, a sermon series on Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it is this sermon where we are swept up in the athletic imagery that we have been alluding to in this sermon series all along. Uh, we have been using the concept of crew rowing to describe the, the, what we call joyful synergy that Paul is calling the Philippian church to experience, one with the, the other. Uh, earlier uh, in Philippians, Paul invited the Christians in Philippi to be one in spirit and purpose, to make Paul's joy complete in the way that they cooperated with one another. Paul referred to them as co-workers, synergist, synergists, those who were engaged in synergy, not only with one another, but also in partnership with Paul and in partnership, ultimately, with Jesus Christ and his mission in the world. Here in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul speaks some powerful words, and it's, they're spoken in a crescendo that sounds a little bit like a halftime speech, because it's about winning. It's about focusing on a goal so that you would win a prize, win the championship. We've been talking about teamwork so far in Philippians, but we have to remember that teamwork, and we know this from experience from our uh, being involved in sports, is that when we're involved in, in sports, in leagues, uh, there's competition involved. So teamwork isn't just for teamwork's sake, it's also so that we would win. We're in it to win it. The title of this sermon is, is locked in, not in the sense of like being locked in jail, but being locked in to a focus of what's most important. To be locked into a goal that will get you to what you are convinced of is most important. When talking about rowing crews, uh, one of the greatest stories we have in our culture is a story that developed not far from here uh, at the University of Washington. The inspiring story of the boys in the boat, the 1936 gold medal eight-man crew that began as a crew of freshmen at the University of Washington. And just a few years later, they ended up representing the United States in the Olympic Games in Berlin, Germany in 1936 and brought home the gold medal. Uh, young men from humble origins uh, who, who did the unthinkable, the remarkable, and none other than George Clooney has been uh, taken by this story and has prepared for your viewing enjoyment 
premiering this Christmas, a movie version of this book. And here's a sneak peek. It's a boat full of underdogs representing an underdog nation. In three, two, one, row! Rowing, particularly in the 1920s, was one of the most attended sports in the United States. The Boys in the Boat is about strong, tough kids, but they were poor and hungry. They're rowing because it was the only way they could stay in college. Well, what's that about making some money? Yeah, the rowing team. You're on, you get a part-time job included, cheap place to live. All you gotta do is make the team. The stakes were much higher for them. Eight-man crew is the most difficult team sport in the world. Most of you will not be chosen. And it gave them an edge. The Washington boat has taken the lead. Washington has done it! These guys at the University of Washington taking on the seniors. I got nine seconds under the course record. And then taking on the fraternity kids. And then taking on the Nazis. Every film we've ever seen that has an underdog in it, you're always rooting for. That you can pull yourself up from nothing and succeed. Give it everything! There's lots of times when the human spirit prevails over circumstances that it doesn't seem that they ought to be able to prevail over. George understood what the heart of the story was. It reminds us of what we're capable of when we pull together. The actual story of what they went through was really spectacular. For all the people who didn't believe in you, as one, as one. The road to victory begins with losses. The road to victory begins with losses. There simply is no other path. Loss of things so that you can gain what is greater. The Apostle Paul says these words in Philippians 3, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them as garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul's religious resume is impressive. He's speaking to people who could be impressed. But Paul frames it in terms of gains and losses, to make sure that those to whom he is writing know that he has a destination, and he has a focus, and he's in it to win it, or at least to get there. And there is the fullness of riches in a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. In order to lock in on that one singular gain, he describes his accomplishments that might distract him away from that priority to that focus. He describes them as losses. And he goes to the extent of calling them garbage even. Now, it's well known that uh, to many that the Greek word behind this is it's kind of where we've euphemized it and made it a little bit more clean, literally, by calling it garbage, because the word in Greek is the word that is used for human waste. He's serious. 
about this. What he means here is he's contrasting this word he uses as garbage. He's describing that as worthless in contrast to the supreme worth, the unsurpassed worth of knowing Christ Jesus. We just saw this clip from uh, the boys in the boat. We look forward to that movie. Many of us have read the book, learned of the story. Uh, and, and we do have, uh, I mean, in a sense, we have a boy in the boat here. Harrison, uh, thank you for, for being here. If you ever want to know what the UW crew requires, uh, just ask Harrison. Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot, Harrison, but you can ask him later. Um, a, a really important question is, what did the boys in the boat have to give up on their way from where they started to getting the gold medal in Berlin. I'm sure Harrison could probably tell us what they gave up. Uh, as author Daniel James Brown recounts in the book, Coach Al Ulbrichsen gathered his crew together on the dock, and he said this to them. You will eat no fried meats. This is in 1934. You will eat no pastries, but you will eat plenty of vegetables. You will go to bed at 10 o'clock, these are college students, and arise punctually at 7 o'clock. You don't think that's early? These are college students. You will not smoke. You will not drink. You will not chew. Once again, these are college students. And you will follow this regimen all year round for as long as you row for me. A man cannot abuse his body for six months and then expect to row the other six months. He must be a total abstainer all year round. Abstainer. You will not use profound language in the shell house, nor anywhere within my hearing. You will keep at your studies and maintain a high grade point average. You will not disappoint your parents, nor your crewmates. Now let's row. <laughs> Think of what they gave up. Think of what you've given up to reach a goal. Think about the, the foods that they wanted to eat, how much sleep that they wanted to get. You know, every single day, what we didn't talk about is what they did, the, the hard exercise they did, they did. They could have used the sleep, but they were up at it day after day. The discipline of getting from point A to point B required them to do things, but it also required them to let go of certain things. One thing is for certain. They didn't get to their goal by admiring the trophies that they had collected along the way. There's a term for this that connects us back to the New Testament context, and that is the phrase, resting on your laurels. You see, laurels come from the, the, the laurel that, that was uh, basically a, a crown that was put on the winner of athletic competitions in ancient Greece. Some of you remember that when the Olympics were held in Athens uh, a couple of decades ago, they returned to the tradition of, of for each champion, they would put a laurel on their head. Resting on your laurels is an expression that describes someone who gets lazy or complacent because they're too busy basking in the memories of former glory. 
when you, when you apply this to our general lives, think about what we collect along the way and how much what we collect becomes our focus in life. We're so focused on managing all the stuff we have. Maybe we're, we're so used to admiring what we've done that we forget that God has us on a journey and Jesus is leading us somewhere. And so we're called into discernment. Discernment of what to throw away, what to recycle, what to give away. At the very end of his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis spoke about the whole idea of giving up in order to gain in relation to Christ. His final words in this classic He speaks of giving up of the self in order to find the real self through Christ. And in fact, that's what he's been writing about in Mere Christianity from page one. He wrote that the more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let Jesus take over, the more truly ourselves we become. See, C.S. Lewis is saying exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. It's about Jesus. That's where we discover life. That's where we discover who we truly are. And he finishes with this. He says, look out for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. You see, the losses lead to gain. That's why we understand them as loss, because like for the Apostle Paul, it's in light of what we know we gain in Christ. To know Christ and to be found in Christ through faith. Paul continues writing in Philippians 3, verse 8, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and his sufferings, becoming like him and attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Gain Christ, know Christ, be found in Christ, faith in Christ. The term faith in Christ, many of you in your, uh, the translations of your Bibles, if you look at it, there's often a, a footnote there that says that in the Greek, it could just as easily be translated the faith of Christ. But what Paul is showing here and demonstrating for the Philippians is that he has a singular focus. It's a similar focus that the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard spoke of when he said his most memorable phrase. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. For Paul, that one thing is Christ. And he shares it so that we will seek to gain Christ and know Christ as that one thing that gives order to everything else and opens us up to the blessings of all of God's creation rightly related to Christ at the center. Think of what 
we hope to gain? What do you hope to gain in your life right now? Where are you headed? What's important to you? Where do you spend your time? Where do you invest your money? Where does, we could extend that beyond this room to, to our community, to our society, our world. What are we living for? What are we working for? Are we working to just gain more possessions? To just replace all that we have with bigger and better things? Is it fame? Are we seeking followers? Is it all about our influence and expanding that influence? For Paul, it was faith. More specifically, the faith that can only be found in Christ. Because through it, we who were once lost have been found in Christ. You know, even at the level of faith, we need God. Karl Barth described it this way. It's a decisive insight of faith itself that all of us are incapable of faith in ourselves. Whether we think of its preparation, beginning, continuation, or completion, at any part of the journey, we need God to have faith. And for the Apostle Paul and countless others, it's worth taking hold of that faith. The Scots Confession of the Presbyterian Church USA that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. John Knox wrote these words years ago. It begins with the phrase, laying hold of. That means taking hold of, like the Apostle Paul is speaking of. We read this. It is therefore essential for us to lay hold on Christ Jesus in his righteousness and atonement, since it is by him that we are set free, even though we do not fulfill the law in all points. For as God the Father beholds us in the body of his Son, Christ Jesus, he accepts our imperfect obedience as if it were perfect and covers our works, which are defiled with many stains, with the righteousness of his Son. The faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, is given to us. And that sets us free. Sets us free to continue our journey toward the goal. Toward the goal of what is of supreme worth. Paul continues writing in verse 12, now that, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet having taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, think about what Paul had to forget behind. And straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is locked in, in two dimensions. In the dimension of the personal motivation toward the goal, this prize, this victory, taking hold of it, putting in the work, but also acknowledging 
that he can't talk about his taking hold of Christ without mentioning how Christ has taken hold of him. Christ is pulling him along the path of God's call. He says, for which Christ took hold of me. And also talks about the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. As we seek to lay hold of or get a grip on Jesus, Jesus' grip is on us. The grip. Do this right now. Test your grip if you can. I don't know if some of you, like as you get older, you kind of feel a little more arthritis in, in that grip. We do so much of our work through the grip, don't we? It's how we take hold. It's how we do our work. It's how we get work done. In sport, we take hold of the oar. We take hold of the bat, the golf club, the tennis racket. In work, we take hold of the shovel, the axe, the broom, the vacuum, the pressure washer. We can keep on going. We feed ourselves with the fork. We mix things with the the spatula. All those things through the grip. It's It's how we take hold. It's how we do work. It's how we get from point A to point B. But it also describes how we describe God's work in our lives through Christ. Christ takes us in his grip. And he brings us along in his power because our power is not sufficient to get there. And so Paul says, he's taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Friends, this is the grip of grace. It is the source of power that propels us forward toward the goal. And it is supplied by Jesus abundantly. Do you feel stuck now or really ever? Do you feel like you can plateau and just you're, you're kind of not really getting anywhere in the life of faith. You feel like maybe God is calling you to let go of some things, to let go of some actions that are not leading you toward the goal, to let go of some attitudes that are leading you away from Christ. But it feels like you'd be starting over. Are you tired Do you feel like you're trying to hold on to God with your own grip? Take a deep breath and envision Jesus' grip on you, carrying you along, bringing you along with his call. As Paul said elsewhere, his grace is sufficient for me. He's got you. Even if our grip slips, the truth of Christ is that God does not let go of us. In conclusion, the upward path, the path to Christ lays before us. It is one of loss, goal, and gain. Held in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, we can live locked in on the call of Christ, empowered by God, pressing on toward the goal, seeking and finding the prize of supreme value, knowing Christ. Amen.